All right, first lesson is from the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And from seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty.
lovely. Gospel lesson this morning from the Gospel according to John, the 18th chapter, beginning with the 33rd verse. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king, for this I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? The Gospel of the Lord. Pray with me. We come to you, Christ our King, but our modern ears find that an odd word, for we have no formal kings, and yet there are those whom we worship. Help us to find truth and allow us to have that truth reign in our lives. Amen. Reign of Christ Sunday, traditionally known as Christ the King Sunday. I did a little bit of poking around on Google this past week to try and figure out when and why that got changed. Uh, It led me nowhere. Just everybody that said uh, Christ the King Sunday would also have a slash and it would say Reign of Christ Sunday. I think it has something to do with what I mentioned in my prayer and that is is that you know, we don't have kings so much anymore, and so the language has a different feeling. It also uh, tends to carry with it a weight of authoritarianism, uh, of tyranny. You know, we, we overthrew kings. That was what the American Revolution was about, because we didn't want tyranny. And certainly when we refer to Christ our king, we don't think of a tyrannical potentate. So in this Sunday, we celebrate the conclusion of the liturgical year. Uh, Christ the King Sunday actually is not a very new, ho- a very new holiday. It is a new holiday. It was uh, Paul VI in 1969 moved it to the end of the liturgical year. It had only been around since the late 1920s. And uh, Paul VI was, I'm not sure what this holiday is for, but we're going to move that feast day to the last Sunday before we begin the Advent cycle all over again. So next Sunday, first Sunday of Advent, in the liturgical year, it starts us all off afresh again as we begin the whole cycle of Advent and Christmastide, moving through Lent and Easter and Pentecost and Trinity Sunday, and then back around until we come to Christ the King Sunday again. Our scripture lessons today are both written by John the Disciple, one from John's Revelations and the other from his Gospel. They point to two different expressions of Christ's reign, 
Revelation speaks of the one at the end of times. Lo, he is coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. I am the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord. God who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. So we conclude the liturgical year with his declaration of the eternal presence of Christ. The eternal presence of God. I was, I am, I will be. And as we stand at the end of the liturgical year, we look back on the year that was, and we celebrate where we are, and we look forward to that year that is yet to be. We speak of this as the culmination of history. Each week we articulate that in the Apostles' Creed when we say, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. The other passage of Christ's reign from the Gospel is inside history. So we have the Revelations, which is outside at the end of all history. But then we have our gospel lesson where it talks about Christ being king in the context of history as he stands before Pilate. Pilate is a frustrated bureaucrat. He's administering a province on the far eastern edge of the Roman Empire. As such, he has only two jobs. One is to collect the taxes for the Roman Empire and send them back to the capital and the other thing is to keep things as quiet as possible so that the empire does not have to spend resources to quell any insurrection or disorder. Good administrators limit the number of times that you have to call security to step in. And already when we get to the 18th chapter of John, Pilate is in a little bit of trouble because he has dispatched soldiers to quell local insurrections a few times too many. So when the local religious officials drag one of their own before him for heresy, Pilate recognizes that he's got to handle this with some delicacy. The last thing he needs is another riot and another call to the home office for soldiers. So he tells the temple officials, look, why don't you try this upcountry Messiah in your own religious courts? Just take care of it. And they respond that Rome has given the permission to be able to have their own religious courts, but they have not given them permission to try a capital case. The jurisdiction for execution is within the traditions of Rome alone, not their local tribunal. And all of a sudden, Pilate realizes that this is far more serious than he thought it was going to be. Pilate had never bothered learning Hebrew. Uh, the sacred texts by which the locals would have conducted that trial were completely foreign to him. And Pilate thought that was okay because he was really hoping to get a promotion and the Hebrew language wouldn't do him any good if he was in any other district. With a little shrewd administration, he could get the attention of the administrators in Rome and maybe go to someplace a little bit better. He could bark out a few commands in Aramaic, but... A Hebrew conversation was beyond him, so anyone who was in his office spoke to him in Greek. So when he cross-examines this defendant in his office, their conversation was on his terms, in his office, speaking his language. At issue was this. Was Jesus an insurrectionist who was threatening the power of imperial Rome? If he was then Pilate could have him tried and convicted as a treasonous actor and have him executed without any problem or confusion. But if he was not an insurrectionist against Rome, then it was a local issue. And Pilate reasoned that we could 
de-escalate this by having Jesus flogged a few times. There'd be a little bloodletting for the people who were gathered around, and, and then he would scoot him on his way, and if he played his cards right, he could probably get home for lunch. So there he was in the office. He has in front of him a Galilean from the north country in Judea. It was the same county where Pilate had multiple times had to send in troops to quell insurrection and riots. So the conversation begins suspiciously enough. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Jesus asked Pilate if that charge was based on Pilate's own research and knowledge of the case, or was it hearsay? Are you calling me a king of the Jew, or have they said that I was the king of the Jews? And Pilate knows what Jesus is doing, because he could not execute him on hearsay by Roman law. I'm not a Jew, says Pilate. Your people handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus advances in these phrases his own reign. It's beyond the walls of the city of Jerusalem. It's beyond the walls and borders of Judea. It's even beyond the seemingly limitless stretches of the Roman Empire. Jesus says, my reign is not of this world. Otherwise, my followers would be fighting for me and I would not be handed over. But my realm has nothing to do with this. As he looks around the office of a governor of Rome. Pilate thinks that he has caught Jesus in a first-hand chargeable offense, shoots back, so you are a king, ah, by your own testimony. Jesus responds by saying that he had come in the world to testify to truth. Pilate heads out the door, and with a dismissive wave of the hand, he tosses out a cynical, rhetorical question that punctuates the difference between earthly courts and divine direction. Pilate cynically says, what is truth? He chuckles. He doesn't even wait for an answer because he does not believe there is an answer. Truth for Pilate was an attempt to handle this delicate case in such a way that no letter of reprimand would end up in his file back in the HR office of Rome. Truth for Pilate was how he could calm down his histrionic wife who had called him in the office that morning complaining about some nightmare that she had had while she was sleeping when he left for the office. Truth for Pilate was trying to figure out how he could get his self promoted out of this jerkwater district. That was truth for Pilate. And there you have it. Question asked. No belief, no expectation, no bother for the answer. Just get me through another day. I received a text this past Wednesday just before the start of the session meeting. It was from a friend of ours, a friend of ours we've known for decades. Is that for me? Um, it was Nancy. Nancy Knopp sent me a text, I was sitting down at the session meeting, pulled it out, and this is what it read. Uh, Nancy and her children, uh, by the way, she has two kids, two grown. Jenny, the younger, she's married. Uh, she has a uh, husband, Rob. She and Rob are expecting their second baby. Ellie is now almost three. She's absolutely adorable. Um, I did their wedding. It was wonderful. 
Uh, Jenny is a school teacher. Rob is a jeweler. Um, but when he's not being a jeweler, he's uh, trying out for acting parts. He fancies himself a bit of an actor. He's actually made it into a couple of weather tech commercials. You've maybe seen him standing next to a pickup truck. Um, Anyway, a delightful couple. The older brother is Billy. Billy is a fun-loving guy. He's one of these people who just always has a joke, always has a move, a dance, a comment. Uh, he'd give you the shirt off his back. I just did his wedding at uh, Quarry Lake in Naperville a year ago, August, August 29th. Um, and it was an outdoor wedding because of COVID and we were masked and safe social distance. They had originally planned a much bigger affair, but because of COVID, they wanted to finally get married after years of dating. I had met uh, Rob and, or um, had met Billy and his wife, uh, uh, Lydia, several times when Danny and I had been over for dinner at, uh, at Billy's parents, Rick and Nancy. Billy worked for different jobs. Uh, he'd been in sales a lot. He was a really decent salesman, but he, he never had the, uh, the patience to stay with any company long enough to get well promoted, so he often ended up back working for his dad. His dad uh, is owner of LaGrange Roofing. Uh, Rick owns LaGrange Roofing, and so his son would do sales and estimates and odd jobs, and occasionally would take an odd job on his own, uh, cleaning gutters or doing a repair, which is... <coughs> how this text message came. Prayers needed. Belly f <laughs> Billy fell off a roof today onto concrete. He broke his neck. He cannot breathe on his own. No brain activity. Doesn't look good. Nancy and Rick which is how I found myself yesterday leading a hospital bed into the operating room at Good Samaritan Hospital in Downers Grove through a corridor procession known as the Honor Walk. Honor Walks are arranged by organ transplant teams. Loved ones and hospital staff line the corridor in silence to offer thanks and respect to families who have offered the organs of their loved ones for donation to recipients who have been waiting for a different kind of text message. The message they would have received was that a 41-year-old man in great health with AB-positive blood has fallen off a roof, creating a brain bleed that took his life. Get to the hospital immediately. The text sent to individuals awaiting a liver, lungs, a couple of people who needed a kidney, a pancreas, somewhere down the road, some will get bone grafts, corneas, tissue. Some peace is offered that parts of Billy have already brought life to others. Since yesterday afternoon when the honor walk occurred and he went into the operating room, others have already received their new organs Somewhere today, there are several individuals awakening to the truth that their organs will extend their lives. Yet, there is a greater truth. What is truth? Truth that in this temporal world, sometimes a little good can come from a great tragedy. That's true. That's a good truth. 
Still, there is a greater truth. One that Pilate would have been able to hear if he had just stuck around to listen to Jesus' answer. Pilate asked the question, what is truth, assuming that there is no good answer. And yet, had he stuck around, Jesus could have given that truth that is not of this world. I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never truly die. That is not a truth of this world, my friends. And while we buffet about with many truths, sometimes profound, sometimes cynical, the truth that is not of this world is that even in the midst of losing a 41-year-old son in the prime of life, who woke up Wednesday with a list of odd jobs, gutter cleanings and roof repairs, fell off a ladder shortly after breathed his last, and has gone into the realm of Christ. Thanks be to God that our kingdom is beyond this world. Amen.